0: Are you an early-stage founder looking to grow your SaaS? The SaaS Doc Founder Membership is a private community of ambitious SaaS founders, where you can get a support network of peers, connect with like-minded founders around the globe, and learn proven strategies from industry experts to help you scale up your SaaS. If you want to get access to peer groups, investor meetings, mentor hours, and more to help you scale faster together, then visit sascom forward slash founder membership to apply or just go to sasstock.com uh, and go up to the header menu and click on memberships and if in your application form if it's right for you mention the sas revolution show uh, to apply for an exclusive discount find your sas tribe and thrive with the SASDOC founder membership this podcast is sponsored by g2 the place for buying selling and reviewing software All audiences aren't built equally. Learn to connect with interested and engaged buyers at the right time with G2 buyer intent. Uncover who's researching your product so you know when to reach out and what to say. Sell more and close bigger deals by sending personalized messages directly to buyers ready to talk tech. G2, smarter software decisions made together. Join the community at www.sell.com g 2com sasdoc. This podcast is sponsored by Chargeify. Chargeify provides specialized billing and data management tools to give B2B SaaS companies the competitive edge. Over the past 12 years, Chargeify has partnered with champions in SaaS like SpendSpark, Mailgun, Connect, and Earthclass Mail to streamline their billing processes build and nurture lasting relationships with customers and strategically optimize their organizations for long-term growth. Chargeify's innovative software empowers every B2B SaaS company to step into the future of billing. Visit chargeify.com forward slash to learn more
1: you may dominate the keywords for uh, your category you may have great content for it but people simply don't care we're in the middle of a pandemic and the kinds of issues that are top of mind for people may have nothing to do with the software you're selling and so the real challenge for marketers today is how will you be relevant what is the intersection between what people care about and what you have respectfully a point of view that you can add value
2: on how are you relevant but in a 10x more valuable way than anybody else can be right and when you bring those two things together is when you are really successful
0: hey everyone welcome back to the SaaS revolution show brought to you by sas the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction growth and scale i'm your host alex thumer and i'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey now on with the show
3: Hello, I'm Jillian, and I'm happy to be here and joined by this all-star tech uh, CMO panel with Kip and Vidya. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining me today for this conversation. It's good to have you here. It's great to be here. Yeah. Yeah, So I know it is a tight ship and I'm going to do my best to uh, unearth as many insights as possible from both of you uh, during the next 20 minutes as we talk about cost effective ways to engage an audience. Um, And I think just an interesting piece of data before we start, just because that's where I I live in the research world, uh, paid media is only getting more expensive. And we did see those initial dips at the start of the pandemic, but those dips have uh, long gone away and we're, and we're seeing increases. And there is some recent uh, ECI media management research that actually found that this year ad prices will increase an average of 3% worldwide. And that leaves marketers in a tough spot. I mean, our, our last speaker just talked about the need to drive revenue while cutting costs and doing that is, is challenging when you're also up against Uh, paid media increasing. So that's why we're here to talk today about organic efforts and what marketers can do to drive engagement and and doing that in a way that perhaps doesn't break the bank, not not an easy feat. Kip, I actually wanna start off with you because Megan, who just spoke, actually talked about the HubSpot model and the, the digital watering hole. And I thought that was a good nod and a good transition to at a high level, kick us off with how HubSpot really thinks about Organizes and designs its its non paid marketing strategy and and to what end?
2: Yeah, so so a few things. One that three percent ad increase feels low. I don't know what you think, Bidget. <laughs> that number feels low. Feels like ads have gotten and are continuing to get much more expensive than that.
1: It's a uh, in my budget. I agree with you, Kevin.
2: <laughs> yeah, my budget tells me the same thing. With that being said, you know, paid is sub twenty percent of our marketing mix, and so the majority of our marketing is coming through organic channels. And there's uh. A first principle that we always start with, which is we don't make or tell any story without understanding how it's going to be distributed in the world first. Like distribution leads to any creation, any storytelling that we want to do. And then when you look at organic storytelling and storytelling to bring people in, we think about moving our business to being, having the best in-house media company for the front office world, right? We're out there selling a CRM platform to marketers, sellers, uh, and customer service professionals. And we want to we want to tell that story. And so for us, that is historically been a lot about education, and it's education discovery through search through our blogs. So we'll have 10s of millions of people read our blogs every month. And the big way that you do that is through the right process. Too many businesses I talk to have a blog editor who comes up with some ideas and writes those articles and they don't get much search traffic, what you have to do is have an SEO analyst, whether that's a freelance contract, full-time person, whatever your resources allow, look at the topics in your market that are out there, how much search traffic's coming out from them, prioritize those, and then turn that over to a creative writer who can then create the best educational story around those topics. And it's the magic of that analysis and that storytelling that really works. And that works whether you're talking about blog, YouTube channel, an academy, just like Megan just talked about in the previous session. Uh, that is kind of the foundational layer of how we approach everything.
3: Yeah, it's great. Vidya, what what do you have to add on top of that as you think about how Marketa approaches this?
1: Um, first, I just want to start with a comment on paid search. Is it, This has been an unprecedented year, and no one has been able to spend their budgets related to events. No one's been able to spend their budget related to out-of-home advertising. And so what are market, marketers doing? They're taking those dollars and putting them in paid. And that's why you're seeing the rising costs of, of paid search. But the other aspect that you're seeing is we're just seeing the, we're starting to see the results of being in a very monopolistic market. I mean, Bing may have a tiny portion of ad dollars, but we're all a little bit hostage to Google. And, and that's what we're also finding is just the flood of dollars and very limited channels and what you can do with paid search. And so what that really forces us all to do as marketers is to up our game on organic and, and earned search. And to add to what Kip said, I think what the last year has especially taught us is uh, content is important and nobody does that better than HubSpot. I just love the way HubSpot pioneered this. And it it, it was almost the first to market 10 years ago to talk about uh, the whole idea of bringing content as a way of marketing. And it, what the last year has told us is that's not enough because... You may dominate the keywords for uh, your category, you may have great content for it, but people simply don't care. We're in the middle of a pandemic and the kinds of issues that are top of mind for people may have nothing to do with the software you're selling. And so the real challenge for marketers today is how will you be relevant? What is the intersection between what people care about and what you have respectfully a point of view that you can add value on? And I think that is where we all have to take our game up to is what is, the way that you can be most relevant in the conversations today.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's I'd love to dig in deeper there when you talk about relevance because I think there's a lot of different ways to be relevant. There's relevance to pain point, and there's also relevance to you know the specific account if you're doing an ABM strategy. There's relevance across the life cycle. So, what are some ways that both HubSpot and Marketa think about that relevance um, to make sure that the content is is educating the audience, but also providing solution in a way that doesn't cross that line into overt, pushy sales.
1: I can share an example from Marketa. We completely um, shifted our content strategy to focus on topics that were top of mind for people. So, for example, where are people uh, seeing the biggest surge in on-demand delivery given the pandemic? What are people doing with contactless payments as a way to stay safe? Uh, why is buy now pay later exploding as a space uh, given some of the financial flexibilities offering to people those are some of the topics that were top of mind for people why is digital banking right now especially since all of the branches are closed and you can't go in and and have teller service and so we shifted our content strategy to be relevant to what we believed was the intersection between what people cared about and what marketa could actually have a commendable respectful point of view on
2: and how are you relevant but in a 10x more valuable way than anybody else can be right and when you bring those two things together is when you are really successful and when the pandemic started what we heard from marketers like everybody's on this call and, and sellers were like we just don't know what good looks like there's no predictable there's no model for how the world is behaving right now and we said well we actually have a lot of data we have chat engagements we have email opens we have sales engagements deals closed let's put out a weekly a weekly report on how that data is trending and changing by those key activities, by industry. And it's like, we were that enabled us to be exceptionally relevant. We hosted a weekly event where we could provide commentary on what's changed, whatever, allowed us to build trust. And it was also, that data just wasn't out there. You can't get that through survey data. You basically had to have a platform like ours and have hundred thousand customers to have a big enough sample like we do to be actually be able to share that and that i think was one example where we tried to pivot quickly into that relevance but still do it in a way that was differentiated and really valuable to the audience
3: well, yeah, I mean, it's such a great point. You're both talking about the fact that to do this well, you can't add noise to the marketplace. Like you have to be adding something that, that has value. And, and this notion of trust, too, I think is so important if we're talking about, you know, increasing non-paid visitation, People aren't going to come back if the content that they've encountered or what they've what you've put out, you know, isn't meeting that mark. Um, I I think about relevance a lot. And I think as you build relevance and trust over time, that's when you get to community. That's when you get to that long term sticky engagement. And I wanted to talk a little bit about how you like both of your companies um, have really fostered community with your audience over time and how you've gotten to that threshold um, where you have that kind of long term relationship with an audience.
1: I think the key here has been a combination of synchronous and asynchronous communication and really leaning into asynchronous. And the reason is there's so much fatigue with online interaction. I know we're all in Zoom meetings um, in back-to-back for the entire day. So you have to be very thoughtful on adding more, um, even if it's for the purpose of creating community. So we launched our first customer newsletter this past year. We're building out our developer community. We're ensuring that we're creating more connection between our customers with other customers, because that's who can be uh, resources to each other much more than us. And we bring in some of our customers for more of quarterly discussion so that they can connect and talk about some of the. Issues that they're seeing in the market and being resources to each other and more helpful to each other. So I think that's been the key for us is uh, the real mix between um, synchronous and asynchronous communication to create that community.
3: Yeah, I love that. Kip, w- yeah. w- what would you like to add?
2: I'd build. I'd build too. It's like community happens at all different levels of scale. So like we have a customer advisory board and we do a, a staff meeting every month and we hear from customers on a given topic, and that's where you hear things like, "Oh man." The HubSpot Academy has changed how I onboard onboard my team or things, and it's like those are the signals you need to invest and build in your community better, one. Two, your brand and your tone just sets up how you interact with your community. HubSpot has always been an inclusive, welcoming, educational brand, and it's allowed people to interact with us, whether it be on Twitter or whether it be in our own community, whether it be in, in our academy, in a really different and safe way, and I think... Uh, building on, I think everything that Vidya said is correct. I would add in those couple things is when you obsess about your customers and they can be the voice of the community, it enables you to solve the problems of the community at large, even the folks who aren't yet customers.
3: Yeah, I, I absolutely love that too. And this focus on, you know, enablement and and onboarding and and the training of customers. And and that's a big way too. This isn't just about net new acquisition. It's about Mm -hmm. keeping the existing audience engaged, speaking to each other, make sure that they're getting the right information. Uh, And Kip, that actually leads me, you know, Vidya mentioned launching a newsletter. And and I know that HubSpot Mm -hmm. recently did acquire the Hustle Mm -hmm. daily newsletters that that are paid for, are, are skyrocketing this year. Tell me a little bit about, that acquisition and the strategy and also how it connects with everything else that we're talking about.
2: Yeah, it's never been a better time to be a creator of things in the world. And that's an awesome thing. What that means for brands, I think is very different and very important, right? And I look at it as we brands are a brand's job is to partner, acquire, or uh, hire the best creators in your market. And we were huge fans of the work that Sam and the team at the hustle was doing. And so we decided to to bring them into the fold and help them take our media operation to the next level. So we had blogs, we had YouTube, we had podcasts kind of, but now it's like we're able to launch a full podcast network. We're able to have an amazing daily newsletter that's read by millions of people every day. And that was a big step up for us. I believe every SaaS company, especially will have, will work to be the best media company in their industry because the media business model is so poor and the SaaS business model is so strong. But SaaS needs the distribution that media provides. And so I think this deal, for example, that we do with the hustle will just be one of many that we'll see over the next couple of years.
3: Yeah, um, I, I want to throw something out there. You know. I think sometimes when I talk to marketers, they they have so much expertise and, and they make it sound easy. And, and obviously this, this is not something easy. And we're also talking about doing this in a cost-effective way without an over-reliance on paid media, but building a, a media business as a brand is also expect, it's expensive to get that flywheel running. And that flywheel is what will continue to attract audiences over time. So I guess I'd love to hear from you both, like what's some of the biggest challenges have been in terms of of setting up your ecosystem and your strategy to get that engine running?
1: I find that starting a program is never challenging, particularly if you crowdsource content. The real challenge is ensuring that the quality bar is high and we're consistent. And and that, I think, is where the real challenge is, is. Just when that flywheel gets going, you'll see that quality bar completely nosedive, which it can be completely devastating to the customers you're serving, the prospects you're trying to win the trust of. And that is that is where the challenge lies, is how do you do this at scale while ensuring that it's super high quality? And the way we do it is by having a very tight content writing process. We ensure that the same people are reviewing the content that comes through, no matter whether it's an engineer writing it or a product marketer or someone from the digital team. We ensure that they all have a consistent voice and tone and they're on point. Yeah. Okay, Probably have more because HubSpot does this really well at scale.
2: Uh, I would say we, we could talk for hours on this topic. The, <laughs> the biggest thing on this topic, though, too, is time to value of the work that you're going to do, right? When you're building up any type of owned media, it, there's a 3-, 6-, 12-month runway until it's really scaled and you start getting the value. And so what I like to do is I think about paid media, conversion rate optimization, and improvements in those two things to kind of help me bridge the gap. And help help me spend some money there to get some short-term results that come up while I'm building my own media operation, whatever channel that may be.
1: Yeah. I think this is bringing up a really good point here is that the biggest difference is paid media is really fast and instantaneous. You put those dollars and you'll see the traffic jump. It may not be the most relevant traffic, but you'll see a jump. But earned media takes a long time to build up, but it's the stuff that really sustains. And when yeah, you paid
2: media, it goes away like this. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> Uh, But it's well worth that investment. Kip is absolutely right. When should you start your earned media efforts or your earned traffic efforts? Right now, (laughs) Yeah. tomorrow's already too late. Yeah, because it just, it
3: takes time to each of your points to to build up. Um, So time has has flown and we only have a few minutes left. So I thought, because this is such a robust topic and we could talk about it to Kip's point all day, I want to do a little rapid fire uh, and have each of you just first thing that comes to mind, one sentence explanation and why that's your answer. And that could be the way that we kind of close this out. Um, so Vidya, I'd like to start with you for each round, if that's OK. Uh, first question, uh, what content type do you think works best to engage your audience?
1: Video, hands down. Yeah. And Kim, what about? Oh, no, people, your please, people, your reason. People's attention span is super small. That's yeah. why. Kip.
2: Uh Video slash audio have the best depth of engagement, for sure.
3: Yeah, I love it. I love the alignment there, too. I think that's really interesting. Um, So next question, obviously, we've been talking about some of the great stuff that both of your companies have done. If you could pick a favorite asset or a favorite campaign um, that has been really successful, uh, which one would you name, Vidya, to you?
1: Um, We have a a paper that talks about the new normal, why people don't want to pay now, they want to pay later. Very timely, very relevant. (laughs)
2: The the COVID benchmark data that I talked about a few minutes ago. Very timely, very relevant, very successful for us last year.
3: Awesome, awesome. Uh, now we've spent some time uh, talking about what you uh, at Marketa and HubSpot have done, but I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention some of the other great examples of uh, organic efforts. Uh, Vidya, what's another company that you think just does a great job at its non-paid?
1: I've always been a fan of HubSpot, just because they were a pioneer in the space, and I've been I've been learning from the school of HubSpot for years. And I'm not saying that just because Kip is here. Very kind. Of <laughs> uh,
2: I, I'll give a non-HubSpot answer. Uh, I I love the folks at Canva. Uh, what what Melanie and that team have done in building out the templates and localized language strategy for their go-to-market is amazing.
3: Yeah, uh, agreed. All right, we have uh, one final question that, that I'd like to, to hone in on before I pass it back. Um, you know, I think emerging trends are really important to pay attention to for marketers to know what they need to do next, what they need to be thinking about next. So as you think about, you know, emerging trends, and it could be in any aspect of the market, uh, feel free to take it where you want, but what should tech mar- what should tech marketers specifically, those in the audience today, be paying attention to?
1: Emerging technologies to add to your marketing technology stack. I just learned about a new technology. Um, An old friend and colleague, Dan Darcy, is um, now the chief customer officer at Qualified.com. Super impressed with what they do to tailor the experience when you come to the website. So uh, new marketing technologies would be my vote. Yeah. I think it's crazy that we didn't talk about
3: personalization that much either. Um, So at least we gave that a little bit of a nod during this panel. And Kip, up to you.
2: Uh, Yeah, the thing to I, my thesis is that we are going to see a disaggregation in how people consume content across the web. More applications, more landing spots with uh, blockchain and uh, new technology innovation. You've seen that with Discord and Clubhouse and everything. I think that's only going to continue over the next five years.
3: Yeah, I, I think those are both uh, great points. Uh, very impressive rapid fire. I'm also just impressed that we managed to get this done right uh, on time. So. Uh, Kip and Vidya, thank you so much. You know, I, I feel like I learned something. I hope that our audience today um, is able to take away some of the tips that you shared um, to put it into their own toolkit and their own strategy. Um, so thank you so much for, for being here with me. Uh, once again, I'm Jillian Ryan from Insider Intelligence. Great to be here. And Alex, back to you.
0: Thanks, Julian. Also impressed that you got it done, bang on time. Uh, Fascinating conversation. Um, take, there's a number of questions in, in, in the Hopin chat, which I know you can't see it, uh, at the moment because we're on, on StreamYard, which is uh, a Hopin-owned uh, platform. I'll, I'll take one, and then if, if you have the time to jump into Hopin uh, sort of afterwards, maybe to answer a couple, that'd be great. Uh, so from Bill Hobbit, so it's curious about what percentage of your budgets you put towards SEO, content paid, advertising, and or virtual events? Kip said paid is sub-20% of budget. What are the percentages in each of the other topics? or five buckets. So I don't know if video and Kip, you're able to kind of answer that uh, relatively uh, timely.
1: For SEO and earned search, it's only in-house resources because it's all about content development. And so there's no additional budget I spend with the agency on earned uh, content and SEO strategy. On paid uh, events, we basically decimated that budget. So it's, it's absolutely down to almost nothing these last 12 months, very few trade events. And uh, for paid, it's probably at about twenty percent of our budget.
2: And uh, paid twenty percent, events three to four percent, organic is the vast majority of our budget in the kind of sixty to seventy percent range, and then a long tail of a lot of other things from there.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SAS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming sasdoc conferences around the world.